All right, as we get started here, I brought a friend with me, this little rabbit. I don't know if you can see this little rabbit or not, all right? It's in pretty tough shape. This is Dolly, all right? Uh, this was Leanna's little rabbit when she was a little girl. And this little doll came to us with no eyes and no mouth, and so at her request, I had to sew those on for her. I guess she wanted to talk to her little buddy, you know, when she was young. But Dolly uh, kind of got beat up over the years, and so I had to kind of start putting her back together, and that's when I got to know Dolly. Dolly was a mess. And so I'd sew an ear back on, I'd put an arm back on, I'd put some, another layer of skin on this little thing, and uh, just patch her up every time she fell apart. And so what we get is this little kind of Frankenstein-looking doll, all right? But this, this doll was loved by Leanna. She loved this thing, and you never saw them apart. They were always together. She'd hold it by the ear, suck her thumb, and just drag the thing around. This was her best friend as a little kid, right? Dolly. She loved Dolly. Now, Dolly is not very valuable as far as I'm concerned. Right? It's just a little rag doll. But for, Le for Leanna, there was nothing more valuable in her life than this little piece of cloth. She loved this thing. Right? This was her fa best friend, her favorite friend. The little rag doll was loved, cherished, and valued by Leanna. Right? I mean, and you ask her about this. She, she's probably embarrassed that I'm even doing this. But uh, she loved this little thing. So after months and months of beating it up, she would bring it to me, and this is exactly what she would say. Daddy, can you sew Dolly? Those were her exact words. And of course I would. I would sew the little thing. But you know what's interesting about that question? She never thought about throwing it away and getting a new one. Her only option was to fix Dolly. That's how much she loved this thing. So what do we learn from a little rag doll like this? It's not much, but a couple of things we can learn. Probably learn a lot of things. But one thing is this. We're all rag dolls, every one of us. We're torn, we're broken, we're flawed. We're a mess. We can't get around that. And so we need God to come along and patch us back up, right? Put us back together when we're falling apart. Second thing I think we can learn about this little doll is that even though we're rag dolls, we're his rag dolls, and we are loved, valued, and cherished by our Heavenly Father. And for him, the only option also is to fix us, just like it was for Leanna. That's what God loves to do, is to fix us when we're broken. So he comes to us and patches us back up. So that's our illustration for today. So I'm going to talk to you this morning from Mark chapter 2. I'll read the scripture in just a second. But I want to speak to you this morning about how we can, as the body of Christ here at Seven Mile Road in Hyannis, learn to love, cherish, and value each other, just like my daughter did, that little rag doll, right? That we can learn to do that, that we can learn to be on mission together, that we can learn to encourage one another and be friends to one another. And so Mark chapter 2, we're going to pray, and we're going to read this passage of scripture. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for being the kind of God who fixes us when we're broken. Thank you that you love us that much. And that tossing us out and getting new ones was never a thought in your mind, that fixing us is the only option for you. And so, Lord, we pray that as people who are part of your kingdom and part of what you're doing, that we would learn to love each other and cherish each other and value each other, just like Leanna did that little doll. We thank and praise you in Jesus' great name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 2, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along. And when Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. 
And many gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And so he was speaking the word of God to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men on a stretcher. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had dug an opening and let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning uh, this way, he said to them, Why are you reasoning about those things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your, your pallet and walk and go home? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went on out of the sight of all of them, so that they were all amazed and were glorified, glorifying God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. So that's our story for today, all right? Real community, real friendship taking place in this story. And I want to talk about that this morning. When you read a story like this, you don't get all the details. So you, in some ways, have to kind of read between the lines a little bit. When I say that, I'm not saying we add to Scripture. I'm saying this morning, as much as you possibly can, try to go back 2,000 years and put yourself in the shoes of these folks for just a minute or two as we try to draw some truths out of this story, all right? But try to go back there and think about what they were going through. We'll see what this story has to say about the power of friendship. Now let's, uh, let's start with the cripple guy. Right, this guy, has his whole life is lived out on this stretcher, this pallet, this mat. It's where he lives. He has no independence, something you and I probably wouldn't survive without, right? But he's totally dependent on other people to bathe him, to clothe him, to feed him. He can't do anything for himself. He's stuck on this mat, totally dependent on others. Has nothing to offer anybody, nothing. And so what does he do? He sits around and begs all day. That's what they did back then. They sat and begged and tried to, you know, make a living that way as best they could. So he has nothing to offer. I wonder what he thinks about. Man, I wish I could walk. Does he think like that? Or maybe dreams about being married and having little kids running around in the backyard. But you know what? That doesn't matter because it's just a dream. It's not reality for him. It's just something he has to think about. Every day he wakes up, looks at the same ceiling, he looks at the same stretcher, the same mat. He's in the same room. Nothing ever changes for him. I wonder if he says, is this all there is for me? Maybe you're like that. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe you're in that situation right now. I wonder if this is all there is for me. That's every day for this guy, until this day, right? This day, everything changes. Why? Because he had four friends who cared. He had four friends who decided, we're going to help our buddy out as best we can. Good friends. Maybe you might say great friends or amazing friends that this guy had. I mean, really, really great friends. The story doesn't even take place without these four guys. Without these four friends of his, he never gets to Jesus. He never gets healed. He, he's never, he never deals with the situation except that the friends are there. And we know they're friends, right? Why? Because acquaintances don't do this kind of thing. <laughs> Just some random acquaintance that you know. These are friends. These are people that cared about him, right? Cared deeply about him. 
And somehow they're able to get past the social stigma that would go along with this. They're able to get past the, the financial pressure that might exist. They're able to get past the inconvenience and the time and the energy it would take to make the commitment to be this guy's friend. They're able to do that. So here's a question for you. Who are the crippled people in your life? Who are the ones that are just barely limping along, just barely making it? Have you written them off? Or, or do you reach out and try to help them, try to walk with them as they trudge along day after day? We've got to learn to be friends like this. Real community and close friendships don't happen by accident. I think probably the biggest barrier to this is the pace of our lives. Sometimes we're just moving too fast. We just go, 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 go. It's really tough to develop friendships when you're always in a hurry. You don't have time to slow down and talk to people. It's interesting about the early church in Acts chapter 2. They seem to be really close. I wonder why. And it says this about them. They met together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They ate together. They talked together. And they did that on a regular basis. And so I can imagine they were pretty close. That's what we've got to figure out how to do. But I think sometimes we're just moving so, so too fast. Sometimes I'm moving too fast. And I've got to learn to slow down. I, we all do if we're really gonna develop some friendships. You can't console, you can't encourage, you can't listen, you can't help people if you're always in a hurry. And so he has these amazing friends, right? This, this crippled guy does. Imagine it's gotta be pretty humbling for this guy that uh, he's gotta depend on them for everything. You know, this has to be a humbling situation. These friends know about his weaknesses, they know about his flaws, they know about everything that's embarrassing to this guy, and yet they still choose to be his friend. They choose to be his friend here. One writer said it this way, whenever human beings love and accept and serve each other in the face of weakness and great need, that's when real community takes place, that's when Jesus gets to shine. Let me say that again, because I think it's a great statement. Whenever human beings love and accept and serve each other, in the face of weakness and great need, that's when the real community takes place and that's when Jesus gets to shine. We want Jesus to shine through our lives, don't we? We've gotta to learn to reach out to the ones who are hurting. All of us have weaknesses, don't we? Sure we do. Every single one of us do. Maybe it's that temper you can't control. Maybe it's something from your past that just eats at you. Maybe it's some present sin going on in your life right now that you're guilt-ridden about. Or maybe it's some disease that's eating your body. I don't know. I do know this, though. We all need friends to help us with it, don't we? Every one of us do. Amen. And so in verse 3 and 4, it says this. And so they came, bringing to him this paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening and let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. This is a bizarre scene in my mind, all right? Who does this? It's a bizarre scene, but they, these guys decide we're going to get our buddy to Jesus, and so they find out where he is. He's teaching somewhere. They go, they bring him to him, and when they get there, guess what? They can't get in. What do we do now, guys? And so maybe they, you know, get around and say, okay, what's next? And maybe the business guy with the business degree says, all right, let's start brainstorming. And you know, when you brainstorm, there's never a bad idea, right? Yeah, right. That's usually how it goes. But they start brainstorming. What do we got for ideas? And maybe, I don't know if he's the youngest one, but one of them says, hey, I got an idea. Let's bust the roof open and drop this guy in. 
you know, maybe something like that. And everybody's like, what? That's stupid. What are you, crazy? That wouldn't work. So he said, keep brainstorming. Let's think about it some more. So as they do, what happens? They can't come up with another idea. The hole in the roof idea is the only one that will work. And so maybe there's a discussion. Well, this is going to be risky. This is probably going to cost us an awful lot. So what do they do? They're desperate to get their friend to Jesus, so they'll do whatever it takes to do that. And they do something crazy here. I mean, something nutty. But when you're a real friend, when your real friendship has developed, you take the risk, you pay the price, you don't care. You do whatever it takes. And so they start doing some roofing. Derek roofs every day. This we would call reverse roofing, right? <laughs> Derek doesn't go and tear holes in people's roofs. He patches them up and puts new roofs on. These guys do it backwards. They rip the roof open. Now imagine if you're the guy that owns the house. What are you thinking? Jesus is teaching, and he's a good teacher, and everybody's paying attention. Everybody's just listening carefully, and all of a sudden there's a distraction from up above. At first, it's just a little bit of dust, maybe some straw and bits of dirt falling. Then it gets louder, and instead of just little chunks, it's big chunks. Everybody starts backing away and moving up. Everybody's looking up at this. Now there's a hole in the roof, and all you see is four pair of hands digging away. And all of a sudden, guess what? Jesus stops. Everything gets silent. Everybody's looking up at the roof. What, what's going on? You know? All they can see is these four pair of hands just digging away, trying to make the hole bigger. Here's my question for you at this time. Who does this? Who tears holes in other people's roofs? Imagine if you were at home and you went to your neighbor's house and just started ripping his roof open. He'd call the cops on you. But who does this? I'll tell you who does this. People who care about other people do this kind of thing. They go way out of the way to make the sacrifice to do whatever it takes to get their friends to Jesus. And so this, to me, is real community and fellowship and love and care and concern lived out for everybody to see. Everybody sees what's going on here. This is not in, in secret. The whole place is, a, is a privy to what's going on. They're so concerned about meeting this guy's need that they will risk everything because getting him to Jesus is all that matters. And so they do it. When you learn to live like this, the cost doesn't even factor in. You just look for ways to serve, to help, to give, to sacrifice, and you find ways to do it. Requires two things, though, doesn't it? First thing is noticing. You've got to first notice that there's a need. If you don't notice there's a need, then you'll never be able to help anybody. So noticing is first. And then secondly is doing. You can't just notice. You've got to be able to do something about it. You've got to be willing to do something about it so you can meet people's needs. I think God will use people more than anything else to heal other people. He uses us to heal each other, to help each other, to reach out to each other. Okay, so you're on the stretcher. You're taking the biggest risk of your life here with these guys. Then you start to second-guess yourself. And questions start running through your mind. Have they tested the ropes? What if, what if they drop me? What if the crowd's going to be angry about this whole thing? What if they think I'm cutting in line? What if Jesus can't help me? And all these questions are running through your mind. And then another question runs through, another thought runs through. If I don't do this, I may never have another chance to get healed. And so what do you do? You roll the dice, you take the risk, you tell your buddies, let's do this. 
and they start dropping you down through the hole. And so with faces poking through the hole, the ropes start lowering him, and here comes the guy on the stretcher. And you know what? Jesus looks up, and he sees this, and he realizes it's not about the four guys. He realizes it's about the guy on the stretcher. The focus is on this guy on the stretcher. How far are you willing to go to get the people you say you care about to Jesus? How far are you willing to go to reach out and help others who are in need and are just hurting and just limping along in life? Verse 5. Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, notice that it's not something they said because they didn't say anything. They didn't say one word. He just saw what they were willing to do, the risks they were willing to take saw the kind of faith that they had. And I tell you what, this kind of faith, I believe, moves Jesus. I think it moves him. It excites him. Humanity at its finest. Love, commitment, determination, unselfishness, sacrifice, risk, all rolled into this one act. And I think Jesus gets excited about it. So here's a question for you. What are the kind of things that you and I are involved in that move Jesus like this? Maybe it's our love for one another. Maybe it's the way we reach out to one another and help each other. Maybe it's the way we care for each other and we're committed to each other. I don't know what it is. But what is it that when Jesus sees it, he sees what he saw in these, same, these four guys? Someone said this once. This is four beggars showing another beggar where to find bread. These four guys are just helping this guy find, really, the bread of life in Jesus, Right? So again, in verse 5, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus' compassion kicks in for the guy. He sees what's going on, and his compassion kicks in. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm not sure the guy in the stretcher was thinking about his sins being talked about in public. You know, he didn't show up that day thinking, all right, we're going to talk about my sin today. Right? I don't think so. But I tell you, when, when friendships start and Jesus gets involved, then the, the junk has a way of coming to the surface, doesn't it? And the, the, the reality of life starts to come out. That's really a good thing, because then healing and forgiveness can start to take place, and you can get your life back on track. It can be frightening at first, but it can end up setting you free. It, can, it may be the greatest gift you never wanted when someone finally puts you out on front street and you, you get straightened out, and all of a sudden you walk in a different, different path. So the cripple guy probably has been mocked most of his life for this because in that day, the religious leaders would have said he was a sinner because of his, his ailment, that, that they considered them to be sinners. That's why they, he was crippled, because he must have done something wrong. Well, of course, that's not true, but that's what the religious leaders would have thought. And so in front of everybody, Jesus says, you're clean, you're forgiven, you're now right with God. And that brings us to verse 6 and 7 where we, we meet the religious leaders. These self-righteous religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, very self-righteous. And if we're not careful, we can become like these guys. We don't want to become like these guys. That's not good. They thought they were better than everyone else, the religious leaders, especially some guy on a, on a, on a stretcher, because they would have considered him a sinner. They knew the law. They were, they were at the temple every day. They, they could quote the scriptures, but you know what they didn't have? They didn't have a relationship with God. They were so far from God, as religious as they were. 
We don't want to be like these guys. They're supposed to be the most righteous of the bunch, and yet I don't think they cared about the same thing God cared about. What, did God, what does God care about? He cares about people. In the heart. And, I, and the reason I say that is because they, it doesn't seem like they brought anybody to meet Jesus. It doesn't seem, seem like they cared about uh, people out there enough to they, that they would bring them to Jesus here. So they're, they're self-righteous. They're religious leaders. And I think these four no-name friends are, are greater in God's eyes than the religious re, uh, teachers of the law were. Here's something foundational about commitment and community and fellowship in the body of Christ. There's a direct connection between loving God and loving people. A direct connection. Jesus was confronted by these religious leaders in Matthew chapter 22, and he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, but there's another one just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus was basically saying there was, love God and love people with everything you got. You can't separate the two. The two go hand in hand. So the, G, the, the God who Jesus introduced to the world, is, is he's preoccupied with finding, loving, redeeming, and saving people. That's what he's about. So I wonder if we have the same kind of heart for people that God does. Do we love people the way God does? Listen, as you mature in your faith, you will love people the same way God does. What am I saying? I'm saying this. You can't love God and not love people and still call yourself a mature Christian. You can say you love God, but if you don't love people, guess what? You don't love God. How do I know that? 1 John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. People who don't love people don't love God. Let me say that again. People who don't love people don't love God, at least in that moment. You can't be a mature believer and say you don't love people. You can say you love people, but if you don't, guess what? You're a liar. And so these religious teachers didn't care about anybody but themselves, the religious leaders. They only cared about them. They had no compassion for a paralyzed guy like this or anybody like him. Not interested at all. I pray that's never the case here at Seven Mile Road in Hyannis, that we would love one another and love our community like Jesus did. You know what's the amazing thing about Jesus? He loves the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, just as much as he loves the paralyzed guy. He loves everyone. How come I don't? How come you don't? We should love people the same way God does, because he loves everyone. And so Jesus says to this guy, pick up your mat and go home. He's kind of basically telling him, walk, skip, run, jump. Do whatever your skinny little legs will let you do, but beat it. Get out of here. Go on home. And I imagine the place is silent. What's going to happen? What's next? Everybody's watching. And so the guy stands up, picks up his mat, and out the door he goes. Never, ever again to, to spend his life on a stretcher. Rejoicing, jumping, dancing, excitement. I would guess that the healthiest guy in the room that day was this guy. 
not because he had new legs, but because he had great friends. That's why. Imagine it's 30 years later. I'm going to wrap this up. Imagine it's about 30 years later. The guy's maybe 70 or 80 years old. His friends are starting to pass away one by one, but he's going strong. Walks everywhere, runs everywhere. He just wiggles his toes while he's sitting around, just being so thankful that he's, he met Jesus that day. He's excited about it. And over in the corner of his room is this, this stretcher. He's just leaning against the wall, and it's just a reminder to him. A reminder of the day that he had four friends who were willing to crash through a roof for him. Wow, wouldn't we all like friends like that? He remembers his community. And humanly speaking, the greatest gift he got that day was not his new legs, it was his four friends. He had friends that you and I wish we had. Folks, the greatest gift you have is each other. Each other. That's, that's the greatest gift we have. Let's live like that's a great gift. Many years from now, when you're getting older, is there going to be something that reminds you of when a community believer has kind of helped you carry your junk, helped you move through life, helped you walk through life? It's where healing takes place. It's where forgiveness takes place. It's where... Jesus shows up in his redemption and his joy and because we've loved one another that way. So I don't know if you've gotten connected yet, but you ought to. Develop some deep friendships here. Get to know each other. Help each other, encourage each other, love on each other. Be the church. Be the picture that Jesus wants us to be to the world around us where we learn to love one another. And never forget that we're just ragdolls, all of us broken, torn, tattered, in need of repair, but we're also loved by our Heavenly Father who wants to fix us, wants to put us back together, because he's that kind of God. I trust you'll develop some good friendships here. Let's pray together. Our God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was in that place where he never thought about getting rid of us, but only thought about fixing us. Thank you for that. May we be reminded every day of how much you love us and how much you care about us. Help us as the people of God here at Seven Mile Road in Hyannis to love one another well, to care for one another deeply, and to, to, to really become good friends over the years that we might enjoy the fellowship of believers so that we not only love God, but we also love people. Teach us that this morning, Lord, and may our friendships be strong. May our love for you and others be even stronger. We praise and thank you in Jesus' great name. Amen.